Well, good morning. Glad you're with us this morning, and I'm sure you are, as I am, uh, rejoicing in a hurricane path that continues to push off the coast. I don't know if you've asked the Lord for that. I certainly have. Grateful for that. Uh, I'm always reminded, as I'm sure you are, as, as sometimes, though, what we rejoice in is still hard for others. So right now, this morning, I think actually those in the Bahamas are getting hammered by a major hurricane. And so um, we'd be thinking differently and praying differently if we lived there, right? So since we're a broader body, why don't we bow together and remember those folks in their situation? So Father, you do hold all things in your hand. We've worshiped you as that. And you're a good father. So we trust you. We do feel for those who are experiencing loss and fear and who may experience loss of loved ones in the midst of this storm. So we remember them this morning and ask that you would be near them by the power of your Holy Spirit. We would ask that you would graciously and mercifully protect life and that you would, even in the midst of this hard, build your church. We recognize that the current path is a projection of men, not the hand of God that we know is coming. And so, Lord, we do trust you even with what the next few days will hold. This is in your hands, Lord, and it's good for us to not be fixated on a storm or a news report, but to fix our eyes on you, to lift our eyes to you, to lift our hearts to you, to worship you, and to remember you and your love in a time like this. I pray that you would speak to us by your word and that it would be the gracious work of your Holy Spirit in this place that you would reveal yourself in a way that would be to your glory and to the fullness of our joy. So would you meet with us now, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Before we jump into the text, I want to share with you, first of all, two things. Uh, We have, we are, I should say, participating in what is called Saturate Jacks. That's new to you. All the churches in this city are banding together to make sure that this September, all 600,000 homes in this city get hung on their door a bag that includes basic gospel material. So as a church, Christian Family Chapel, we are participating in 3,500 homes around this church in 32257 in receiving a bag that will have a welcome and an invitation note from us, a DVD of the Jesus film in eight different languages because if we've learned anything through our TESOL ministry, we've learned that we are surrounded by all sorts of different languages and a gospel track. So we have taken more homes recently than we initially planned because some churches who thought they were going to participate are not. And so this is going to happen September 15th. That's a Sunday at 4.30. And I want to simply encourage you, 
I know that it'd be an easy decision for you to go, do I want everybody in this city to have an opportunity to receive gospel material? Yeah, that's an easy answer. And it's actually an easy solution the way the city has been broken up. So it's going to cost you a couple hours on Sunday afternoon starting at 4.30, two hours probably max. We have all 3,500 homes broken up into maps. It's just a matter of how many people will show up. So uh, I'm going to ask you, would you show up and participate? So you know, we're not knocking on doors, interrupting folks. We're hanging this on their door, and if somebody happens to be outside, then we might strike up a conversation, but we are not knocking on doors, we're hanging on doors. Well, we aren't hanging on doors, we're hanging (laughs) these bags on doors. That'd be really awkward if you hung on their door, so don't do that either. All right, second thing, Thursday, we are making a change. We've had a Thursday service now for those who cannot worship on Sunday morning because of travel or because of work. And that's been in our senior high room since we started it. And beginning this week, we are giving the senior high room back to the senior high completely, to which they gathered in the front row and cheered wildly this morning. And we are moving Thursday night service into here beginning this week. So 7 o'clock on Thursday, lots of great opportunity for what this room will represent with our new chairs, our new lighting, and so 7 o'clock on Thursday, and if you have childcare, it's always been a hassle in the past because childcare was here and the service was way down there, it'll be in the same building. So I want to bring that to your thinking again, that whenever you are out of town or have to work, for whatever reason you can't make it on a Sunday morning, that it is the first of our four services on Thursday night, and it really is a, a great time together. All right, now, would you grab your Bible, please? If you have one with you, turn with me to 1 Thess chapter 5. As you see on the screens, we're in a study from chapter 4 and chapter 5 of this letter that we're calling Excel Still More. We're calling it that because Paul says to the church there in Thessalonica, hey, you are pleasing the Lord, but you can please him even more. You can excel still more in your pleasing of the Lord. And now we're in a section in chapter five where he identifies seven essentials for how they as a church can treat one another in such a manner that they will be a healthy church because we're a family. And oftentimes, regrettably, families are not healthy. We call them toxic sometimes. And it's because The seven essentials identified in this passage aren't true in their family. So think family, think church about these seven essentials. If you're there in chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, started with an essential for health is roles. The role of the elder, the role of the leader, and the role of the congregation. If people play their roles, then a group of people can experience health. Second, live in peace with one another. Oftentimes, families fight and churches fight, and it's ugly. It doesn't reflect Christ. So peace, and I can't reteach that message, but peace is important for our health together. That was 12 and 13. Now look at 14. Verse 14 gives us four more. We've looked at three of them. He says, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everyone. 
That's what we're going to look at, these four words this morning. Be patient with everyone. Now, I want us to notice something. First, as you look at that verse, it's the unruly who need admonishment. It's the faint-hearted who need encouragement. It's the weak who need help. It's who that needs patience. Everyone. So as you think about the people in your life that you need to be patient with, because they irritate the snot out of you, and you're just, oh, ah, ah, I need to be more patient. You've said this to yourself. I need to be more patient with them. And you have people in your mind. Guess what? You're in somebody else's mind as well. <laughs> you are that person. Uh, they go, they just wear me out. So I think you would agree with me that we can't skip this one. A guy, after Thursday night, he says, dude, thanks for the spotlight on me. And I said, there was no spotlight in patience. It's a floodlight. So if you feel like you're in the spotlight this morning, every single one of us are going to see, if we're honest, our need for patience and hopefully how we can grow in it. So with a fresh expression of what we believe about this book and how we're going to receive it this morning. Take your Bible in hand and let's declare this together. This is God's word, his heart revealed. I humbly declare his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I will not lean on my own understanding, but incline my heart now to receive his word so that I may excel still more in filling the earth with his glory by walking in his truth and loving all people as he has loved me. Specifically, loving all people by, this morning, by being patient. Be patient with everyone, no exceptions. So, when we talk about patience, What are we talking about? Well, the definition may actually surprise you. Patience is literally two words. In the original language, Greek, macrothumia. Two words that mean first, distance. Macro, it means distance, far or long. And second, thumia, passion or wrath. So when we are patient with someone, we are putting distance between that which provoked us and our wrath. It's why it's often translated long-suffering. I think we like to use the word patience because we don't like the word long-suffering. But it's just a lot more clear, folks. See, when somebody says to me, oh, I've been asking the Lord, help grow me in patience. Really? So you're saying you are asking the Lord to make you suffer long. And then there's like, hmm, maybe I'll change my prayer. That's not not such a great prayer. Because patience is literally saying, I'm going to learn to suffer long, put distance between when I'm provoked and when I, because that's what impatient sounds like, right? 
to when we explode. What's the opposite? Well, the opposing deeds of the flesh, because the fruit of the Spirit is patience, the opposing deeds of the flesh are, and this will help us understand patience, they're the outburst of anger. They are when we are quick-tempered. Now, we've talked about this, but let me quickly review. The Bible says that you and I have what we simply can call the sin nature. We have the flesh. And we have likened the flesh, do you remember this? To a a demanding two-year-old who lives in us. But when we're born again, the Spirit of God lives in us as well. And so when we are yielded to the Spirit of God, we are long-suffering. But when we're not yielded to the Spirit of God, we are quick-tempered, and we have outburst of anger. So when someone provokes you, slows you down, calls it, it, and this just gives a a little bit away. As Americans, we tend to think slowing us down is suffering. Blocking our goal is suffering. When that happens, we tend to be impatient. We lash out. We explode. Visually, some of us, when we explode, we're pretty tame. We're like a little bottle rocket. You've set one of these off, right? It's, it's like a... And some of you think, I'm, I'm actually pretty patient. I'm just a bottle rocket. It's not a big bang. It's quick, it's over, and it's gone. You win the patience award. That's what you think. So some, it's not that way. Some, you're more... M80-ish. In other words, you don't necessarily fly off, but you've got a loud bark and a loud bite. It's pretty explosive when you're impatient. Some of you are more like Lady Liberty here. Lady Liberty... Isn't loud. It doesn't go high. It doesn't go boom. It just goes. And you're you're laser searing when you explode. And you think, hey, I don't blow up. I just sear you. Like Lady Liberty. Some of you are more mortarish. <laughs> you ever use one of these? You know, there, there's, there's multiple bombs in here. And when you say you've had it up to here and then you go off, it's boom, boom, boom. And you just keep going. You're like a runaway freight train. 
Now, some of you are going, gee, you've been in my house, you know, that happens. I've been in a house before. And I've seen and experienced and expressed impatience in, in a lot of ways. Some are this. It's got a drill, hole drilled in the bottom. You're all right. But really, your impatience is it's pretty ugly. You pull a pin and you throw it into your marriage. You throw it into your home. You throw it into work. And, and it just rips people up. I mean, it's damaging. Your impatience is ugly and bloody and messy. All right. <clears throat> So I don't know if you see yourself here, but here's what I want you to capture. We tend to think, well, this is the winner here. This is Excel still more. I want to be this person, not these people. Definitely not this person. But folks, that's not what patience actually is. You know what patience is? Patience is this. See, regardless of how you explode, the issue is all of those have the same fuse. And patience is the person who what's the word? Long suffering. It's not a word, but it should be long-fused. That to excel in patience is to become long-fused. When he says, be patient with everyone, he is saying, would you grow a longer fuse? with your spouse if you're married, with your kids if you have them, with your aging parents if you have them, because that'll get you a short fuse, with your boss if you have one. Be patient. Have a long fuse. So you get the picture? We tend to think it's move from here to here. That's a whole, that actually is a whole different sermon. <laughs> Addressing how we explode is not patience. Patience is about when and how quickly. Vines, who writes New Testament dictionary for, dictionary for New Testament words, says long-suffering is that quality of self-restraint in the face of provocation. And whether somebody's done something wrong or they haven't just done something wrong, they just, they just messed with our plan. They messed with life the way we want it. They didn't sin against us. They just slowed us down, hurried us up. They just messed with us. It's that quality of self-restraint in the face of provocation that does not, here's the key word, hastily retaliate, or again, key word, promptly punish. It is long-suffering. So the key question, if we're going to excel in patience, is <laughs> how do I grow a longer fuse in my life so that I'm not 
quick-tempered so that there aren't these boom outbursts of anger that destroy people around me. You see the goal? If I'm going to excel in patience, I need to grow the fuse in my life. So to do that, I think we're going to see I need to remember something and then confess something and then repent of something and then deny something and ultimately embrace. Those are the five key words. First, I grow in patience when I remember the patience that God has shown me. Now, in that statement is an assumption that you know God has been patient with you. So let me just visualize. Do you deserve the wrath of God? So he has been patient with you because you haven't experienced it. And you aren't experiencing it currently, right? So say more than I remember God has shown me patience. God has shown me and is showing me. In other words, let's, let's be honest enough to keep it current and real, like today. Ultimately, at the core of our impatience are two false thoughts. The first is a false thought about me, and that is God has not needed to be that patient with me. That's a false, foolish, incorrect thought. God has been and continues to be mountain loads of patient with me. I have deserved his wrath and I continue to deserve his wrath apart from faith in Christ. So God has been and continues to show patience. It's like this. It's like the story told, the story that Jesus told about the man who had been forgiven by a king of mountain loads of debt and then turned around having been forgiven a mountain of debt and he would not forgive another person of a molehill of debt. And Jesus says, how can you be a recipient of that and not even give a little bit? And then I go, how can I be a person who is received mountains of God's patience and then be so impatient with people that I love and people that I don't even know that I can just be impatient with. See, the reminder of God's patience is in 2 Peter where the skeptic and the scoffer of God says, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continue, continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. All this stuff that, that God's coming back, that God's going to make it right, that the judge is going to return, nothing changes. It's just the same old, same old, same old. That's the accusation. 
The divinely inspired answer to that accusation is this. Don't let this one fact escape you. Escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. In other words, God stands outside of time. We're going to come back to this. But the truth that God is eternal and therefore not bound by time Man looks at our creation, looks at our world and goes, that would have taken billions and billions of years. But an eternal God who's not bound by time spoken into existence in a day. A thousand years, a day, a day like a thousand years. Here's the application to God's patience. The Lord's not slow about his promises. As some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You see the difference? Is there a difference between patience and slow? If God is slow, that's a weakness of God. But if God is patient, that is a reflection of his love because love is patient. And it's a reflection of his love that God is long-suffering for what goal? What's it say? For repentance. So instead of complaining about why God, God doesn't do things faster in your life, how about instead say, God, thank you for your patience and calls it to pray for your brother or your mother or your father or your sister or your child who still hasn't trusted in Jesus. God's not slow. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, as fast as he wants, because if you're eternal, there isn't such a thing as fast and slow. God can do it however he wants, whenever he wants. So if in our terms he's being patient then let it motivate your prayers because I know every single person in here has somebody that they love who has not yet repented. Rejoice in the patience of God. Rejoice in the slowness of God and let it motivate your prayers. But most of all, let it motivate you being more long-fused with others as God is being long-fused with us. Second, if I'm going to grow in patience, I have to acknowledge and confess some hypocrisy in my life. And that hypocrisy is this, the hypocrisy of demanding others be patient with me but I not be patient with them. Can you spot that hypocrisy in your life where you expect maybe a spouse or a family member or a coworker or a boss to be patient with you, but you're not patient with them? My wife has been uh, quick to tell me, Doug, you are most ungodly while driving. And it 
It just makes me more ungodly when she tells me that. No, that's not her fault. That's my fault. But she'll say, Doug, wow, I never see that at home. What's happening? So she's been telling me this for about a year now. This past week on San Jose, I was like, oh, Lord, hypocrisy. It's because... I needed to get over to make a turn, and I was in the wrong lane. And all I needed to do, to just get in front of the guy so I could get over. And he was one of those guys that was speeding up so I couldn't get over, so he wasn't going to let me in. And I'm thinking, come on, dude, what's the big deal? Just let me in. And then I thought, oh, I'm that guy. I'm that guy who's thinking, why didn't you get over when you should have, when you had time? You ever found yourself that? needing someone to be patient with you and you're driving, you're the person that, that didn't drive smartly and, and you're like, oh man, sorry, just please be patient with me. But then when it's the non-smart driver in front of you, it's the person that's texting at the red light and it's green and you're like, come on! Until it's you and then you're like, oh, come on, relax. It's just not that big a deal. And the Lord was just like, <clears throat> hypocrite. It's easier from the Lord than from my wife, honestly. <laughs> she would suggest they might be one and the same. <clears throat> That's a female clapping, I'm sure. <clears throat> so I don't know how hypocrisy looks in your life. But part of me becoming long-fused, long-suffering, is recognizing, hey, there's times, not always from the Lord, but there's plenty of times I need other people to cut me some slack, to give me a break, that's the stuff we say, to be a little understanding, And I need to remember when I need that so that I'm prepared to give it to others when I'm on the other side of that equation. Third, I grow in patience when I repent of elevating three things over specifically, and don't miss this, over people. And I say this because you understand that when God created everything and then he created humanity, he was saying that we are the pinnacle of his creation. Mankind and only mankind is created in the image of God. That's why Jesus said, hey, Look at the flowers of the field or look at the birds of the air and recognize you're more valuable than they. But sometimes I lose sight of the value of people. And I put myself as more important people. And when I do, I have a short fuse. Or I put expediency over people. Expediency simply mean being practical. 
And this is just a challenge to every guy in the room who loves practicality. Sometimes our practicality looks like short fuse with people. And we have the wrong thing as more important. For me personally, maybe this will connect with you. Efficiency can be an idol in my life. And if efficiency isn't an idol in your life, you probably drive me crazy. You understand what I mean? I, I don't say that in good. I say that for me to grow in patience, there has to be a continual recognition of People are more important than my efficiency and my practicality and just in general, myself. I remember the day after 9-11. 9-11 was a Tuesday. Driving to work Wednesday morning September 12th, and driving home that day was a dramatic difference. I don't know if, if you were driving then and if you noticed this. Maybe it was unique between Greenland Road, where we lived then, and here. But driving in and driving home, folks, there was an unbelievable sense of, no, you go. All the road rage completely absent. And I remember being so struck, like, how is it that 9-11 has impacted how we drive? And I've since understood. Because what happened with 9-11 was the recognition of all this horrible loss of life. And in the horrible loss of life, the good work of God in our hearts to go, you know, we live like some of this stuff is more important than people. And when a bunch of people die, you go, you know, that's not that, it's just not that important anymore. The problem is it lasted like Wednesday, Thursday, and by the weekend, we were kind of back at it. And I'd simply say to us, church, we need daily reminders that we are created in the image of God. And we have some idols that we live for in our lives that when they don't get served, we're short-fused with people. In fact, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but if you're not sure what idols you have in your life, just watch to where you're short-fused in life and it'll reveal where your idols are. Because when our goals get blocked, we generally start exploding on people. We're not long-suffering. Fourth, this is from Romans 6, and I'll read it for us, for us in a moment. But I want to share a phrase with you. I grow in patience when I deny my wrath and anger, those desires that burn in me, a mind to take 
harbor in. That might seem like a strange expression, but think about a ship that's been moving, that's meant to transport, it's meant to move, but then it drops anchor and harbors. It stays there. Sometimes what happens with you and I is someone wrongs us and we keep a record of that wrong. Now, we don't, like, put it in notes in our phone. I mean, well, if you do, you've really got problems. (laughs) But you keep a record up here and right here. You hold a grudge. You've heard this expression, you're harboring bitterness. See, just take it, you're a ship that has thrown anchor and you're not moving on. And because you're not moving on, because you're taking a hurt or an inconvenience or somebody that messed with your world the way you want it and you're just massaging it, You know what the result is? Shorter and shorter fuse with that person. And then you blow. And they're like, wow. Why'd you blow up like that? I don't know if you'll know it or be able to acknowledge it. Uh, It's because what I've been harboring in my mind and in my heart. See, maybe, maybe as much as anything if we see the fruit of the Spirit, our patience is a window into our heart. And what's really ruling our heart and what we're harboring in our heart. But it's just not a harbor. If I'm going to grow in patience, you understand, said, I, I got to go, just think, I, I got to pull anchor. In other words, I've got to let go here. I've got to be willing to move on. If I'm ever going to become more patient, I have to deny my wrath and anger, a mind to take harbor in, and a body to express themselves. Within the last year, probably the, wow, that would be too strong. One of the most significant core truths that keeps coming back to me is that my desires, my fleshly desires, that two-year-old that lives in me needs a body to express itself or it won't be expressed. And if I'm going to grow in patience, I need to recognize just because I'm feeling it doesn't mean that I have to let it fly. Because some of you give yourself, literally you give yourself permission. But the scripture says, don't, do not go on presenting the members of your body to what? To sin 
Why? Because when you present your body to sin to that two-year-old that's in you, then you turn your body into an instrument of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. See, you're a new person. So stop presenting your mouth to your anger and to your wrath. The reality of impatience is this. Some of us are just, we've trained our body that when we suffer, we explode. When people get in our way, we make them pay. And it's just, you lash right back out. You're that two-year-old that as soon as the toy is taken from them, it's not like, hey, well, you play for a while and then I'll take my turn. When, it, when you take a toy from a two-year-old, bah! That's how you, you immediately react. You have a habit of a short fuse. So how do you change that? Here's how. You recognize in those moments where you're feeding that habit. And by feeding that habit, I mean you literally think to yourself, all right. I'm going to just give it to him. Ever thought that? I'm just going to give it to him. And all that anger and all that wrath that's in your heart and mind, you go, here's my mouth. Let it fly. And you throw that hand grenade in there. And then you know what you say? What? I mean, I feel better. I mean, they're all bleeding and wounded, but I feel better. There are, for every single one of us, there are times where we consciously give our anger and wrath permission. Just use this body. And maybe we throw, maybe we kick, maybe we scream but we explode in some way. And we know, I'm just giving it over. Okay, now I'm done. Or some of us, once we get started, man, this is just, like I said, this is a runaway freight train. It's in those moments, folks, it's in those moments that you learn to break a habit. Because in those moments where you're consciously presenting yourself to sin, you go, that's not who I am. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I recognize I'm a new person in Jesus. I'm not my own. This is not my body to give to sin whenever it will help me feel better. Because that whole saying that misery loves company, when people mess up your world, you just, it's our natural self that wants to mess up their world. Make them pay. And impatience is simply saying, I'm giving my body over to the anger and to the wrath. I'm not putting distance. 
short fuse. So it's denying my anger and wrath, a mind to harbor in and a body to express itself. Finally, I embrace, if I'm going to grow in patience, I embrace suffering as part of following Jesus. That's a weird embrace. You understand what I mean by that? If we see suffering coming, what do we want to do? We want to run. We want to get away from it. But we're never going to become long-suffering until we recognize, you know, we call ourselves Christ followers. We're following a sufferer, one who suffered long, one who suffered unjustly. And so this whole idea, I'm going to confront a lie that may have some root in your heart, this whole idea that if God loved me, he would take the heart away from me. If God loved me, he wouldn't make me suffer. If God loved me, this wouldn't happen. But actually, to embrace This is part of following Jesus. Part of following Jesus is recognizing people are going to hurt, people are going to wound, and people are going to inconvenience. It doesn't have to be a sin. And I'm going to continue to put distance between the provocation and the wrath. Peter says, What credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? In other words, there's no credit that you're basically paying your bill. You're getting what you deserve. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, now that finds favor with God. Why? (laughs) For you have been called for this. Did that just slap you? Or did it run right past you? (laughs) You've been called for this, to suffer and to endure it. Why? Since Christ also suffered for you. See, it takes us back to our first one and leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Christ followers are long sufferers because we are following the long sufferer. How did he do it? Don't miss this. While being reviled, he didn't revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but, here's the opposite, kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Folks, how do you become long-suffering? Right here, how do you become this? By recognizing, I am trusting the righteous one. You ever think about that? Patience is a reflection of trust in God. 
And this short-fused, short-tempered outburst, you know what that is? That's a lack of trust in God. I need to take things in my own hands. I need to make people pay. I need to make things happen the way I want them. No, actually, look up here. God is eternal. I can trust the one who stands outside of time. He's not slow. He's not fast. He's eternal. What he is is righteous. And therefore, I can trust him. This will seem potentially really, really weird to you. But actually, growing in patience is thinking about myself correctly, that I have deserved the wrath of God, but he has been long-suffering to me. Thank you. I will dispense what I've received. And growing in patience is ultimately thinking rightly about him. He's eternal. I can wait on him. I can be patient with everyone because I can wait on the Lord. And those who are messing up my world, they're not my enemies. They're actually instruments of God growing me to teach me to trust in him, right? trust in him. We have an everlasting, eternal father who, if we will learn to wait on him and to trust in him, we will grow long fuses and love everyone because love is patient. It's all about how we see our everlasting Father. Would you stand with me? And let's worship our God as we trust in Him in our waiting. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord.
I hope we'll go into this week with really a new vision that patience is rooted in a confidence in an eternal, everlasting God. And strength is where? And waiting on him. And so if you explode on your spouse this week, if you're short-fused with your kids, if you're quick-tempered at work, then make your confession not, oh, man, I shouldn't have blown up. Make your confession this. God, I confess that I lost sight of who you are, the eternal one. And I started seeing life through my finite, limited, time-bound weakness. I'm a fool. I trust in you. I trust in your timing. I trust in your work. I trust in your wisdom. I will wait on you. I'll wait on you on San Jose. I'll wait on you in the kitchen. I'll wait on you because really, you're not in a rush. I'm trusting in you. It'll make all the difference in what patience really is. Recipient of mountains of patience. Let's become ones who excel in dispensing mountains of patience. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Say it together. Faithful is he who calls us, and he also will bring it to pass. God bless.